If you have your Bible, you can open up to Psalm uh, 67. Psalm 67 is a, uh, a psalm that uh, to go through verse by verse and to um, just pull out of the text theology, it's, it's, it's fun. We don't get to do that in the Psalms very often, you know, as we're teaching through 1 Corinthians or, or things like that. But uh, this year, as Kevin was referencing the trip that he and I took to Birmingham, Alabama to a missions conference where we were praying that God would change the climate and the missions culture of our church and the Holy Spirit delivered in an incredible way uh, during that week. And, and then he has just moved with power and momentum uh, over these months in a way that could never be attributed to any man or, or any man-made system, but only by demonstration of his spirit and of power. Uh, you know, one of the, the Psalms that we worked through at this conference was Psalm 67, Psalm 68, um, and some references to the, the previous chapter, Psalm 66. And uh, this has just been a, a Psalm that we, it has just been changing our lives. Uh, and uh, to give some credit to today's message, um, you know, we've just gleaned so much from, from how it's changed David Platt's life and, uh, and John Piper's lives and these very mission-minded preachers that, um, that have been, you know, reaching the unreached and raising up disciples among their churches that have gone out and even become martyrs for Jesus. Like, like they're living it. They are living a New Testament missionary life. And, uh, and so with that, uh, a couple weeks ago on a Wednesday night, you might remember, uh, I felt the Holy Spirit lead me kind of at the last hour to teach through Psalm 67. And it was, it was just very short and small to, for me normally anyways. And, uh, and I just told you guys that, that this is just such a powerful Psalm that we'll be back in it soon. You remember that? I warned you. And so here we are, we're back in it uh, today. And uh, on this day that, that I'd like to call Vision Statement Sunday, Vision Statement Sunday or Vision Sunday, uh, where, you know, for the last six weeks, we've been going through the This Church series where we've been examining our theology of the church. Ecclesiology is what it's called. And, and we've been really, this series has been a review of a series that we did a year and a half ago that God had been leading us through. And then we went into 1 Corinthians and we saw the church series lived out in the Corinthians' lives and, and applied in their lives. And then just felt, man, we've got to revisit. Do you guys see how ecclesiology, biblically, how it's lived out in the Corinthians and how God would have it lived out in Prineville in 2014. And, uh, and so this series really that's been a year and a half in the making, and even if I could say before that, God has just been leading the elders. It's just been all going towards an incredibly spirit-led direction. And so I think it was last week that Kevin or Blaine or somebody said, be here for the next three Sundays, because God is going to be giving us our, our direction and showing and affirming why we are here as Calvary Chapel of Crook County. And so, uh, 
you're gonna wanna be here next week. You're gonna wanna be here the week following. And then even after that, there's, there's some good, incredible things that are gonna flow out of that. So all that being said, I want to have our vision statement um, come out of the scriptures rather than we're gonna force our vision statement onto the scriptures. We wanna pull it out of the scriptures. That's called exegesis to pull out of, okay? Uh, and so Psalm 67, let's all stand together. And if you've got a new King James version, uh, you can read out of it, or we've got it up here. We're gonna read the uh, together out loud, follow my lead. We're going to read um, this seven verses of Psalm 67 together. Uh, and, and let's go ahead and come on down past this invocation. Here we go, are you guys ready? This is a prayer, let's, let's read it as a prayer together. God be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Then the earth shall yield her increase. God, our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. Go ahead and be seated. Uh, John Piper will be quoted a bit this Sunday. David Platt will be quoted a bit. Um, and, uh, and just guys that we've been gleaning from uh, just with the missions mindset. Uh, and and uh, I quoted Piper uh, a couple weeks ago, and, and I've looked up the word that I misused, if some of you remember that. Uh, and so I want to quote this again about this psalm. He says, the way we pray when we are obsessed with God's zeal for his praise among the nations of the world. This is the way we pray when we are obsessed with God's zeal for his praise among the peoples of the world. Platt says, this psalm is simple and it contains one primary overarching truth that is absolutely critical in understanding Christianity and understanding your purpose in the world. That truth is God blesses his people. Now, Joel Olstein will preach that and everyone will say, ooh, bless me, God. But listen, God blesses his people for the sake of his praise among the nations. That is why we've been blessed. And that is what this Psalm trumpets, that there is context to the blessings of God. Now, verse one says, God be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. God, be merciful. That is the beginning of this prayer. Be moved to pity for me, a sinner, Lord God, who is deserving of your judgment, your condemnation upon my life. Be merciful or 
Every other translation that I found actually says, God be gracious. God be gracious. And, and that actually speaks of him giving us what we don't deserve. We deserve judgment. So mercy would be, don't judge me, Lord, even though I deserve it. That's mercy. But grace is blessings being poured out upon us, even though we don't deserve it. That's grace. God be gracious to us. Be generous to us. Literally, please be gracious, God. Bless us, it says in verse one, and bless us or benefit us and cause your face to shine upon us, dawn upon us, illuminate us, ignite us, give us sight and light a fire within us and brighten us. Lord, shine your face upon us. Think about this prayer. We are sinners. We are enmity with God. That means we are not at war with God. We are war with God apart from Jesus Christ. We are depraved. We are destined for judgment. We are sons and daughters of wrath. That is not a good place to be. And yet we would cry out, be merciful, be gracious, bless us and cause the face of almighty, holy God to shine and illuminate and give us sight. Even Moses couldn't see the face of God. He could only see the back end of God, lest he would die by seeing the glory of God. This is taken from, this whole idea is taken from a priestly blessing, a prayer of grace from Numbers 6.25. Think of what this means. May God show me a sinner who's rebelled against him, unearned favor upon my life, compassion upon my life. May God not give me what I deserve which is judgment but give me what i don't deserve which is mercy and favor and blessings beyond our wildest dreams may he not give us condemnation for our sin but blessing and love and provision now is this talking about physical or spiritual blessing poured out upon us the context of the scripture says yes it's physical blessing and its spiritual blessing poured out from God. This is a prayer for comprehensive blessing from God poured out upon us. It goes back to Genesis 12, verses two and three, when God called Abraham by his grace and told Abraham, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. Even though you don't deserve it, there's nothing in you, Abram, that I would bless you. I'm gonna bless you by my grace. I'm gonna make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. And in you, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. Now this first covenant here with Abraham has its decisive fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Piper says, this prayer is a realization of the covenant fulfilled in us through Jesus Christ when people believe. So it's decisively fulfilled in the man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. But then it has a realization of fulfillment in us through Jesus when people believe. 
Look at Galatians chapter three, verses 13 through 14. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree, that the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles or non-Jews in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the spirit through faith. So what Galatians is telling us is that the Abraham promise in Genesis chapter 12 is imparted to us, even though we're not Jews, even though we're not Israel, because of Jesus's obedience. If anyone believes upon Jesus's obedience and believes upon the gospels, the blessings upon Israel become the blessings upon them. And Galatians chapter three, verse seven says, therefore know that only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. And then in two verses, Galatians 3, 9. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Or Galatians 3, 29. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So all this to say that, that this blessings of God that in the very beginning were poured out to Abraham, they're poured out to us as Christians, as the church today, to those who believe upon Jesus through faith and receive his grace, the promises to Abraham are true for us in Prineville, Oregon, a couple thousand years later, actually something like 6,000 years later, nearly. Now, all of this beautiful verse of verse one of bless us, God, bless us, God. And isn't that a prayer that most Americans would pray? Bless us, God, bless you, bless you too. Well, God bless everyone, Tiny Tim said, or something like that. But notice the pause after verse one. It's a pause, it's not a period. There's this word, selah. Selah, it means pause for a minute, soak it in. The psalmist wants us to realize that there's a purpose behind God's grace to us, his mercy to us, his blessing to us, his holy, beautiful God face shining upon us. There's a reason, there's a purpose, there's an aim for the blessings of God. Hold on, wait, there's not a period, there's a think about it. And it leads into verse two, where we see the aim of mercy, where we see the aim of blessing, where we see the purpose of the brightening. And the most important word in the whole entire Psalm is the first word in verse two. It's the word that, or so that. God bless us, God be merciful, God be gracious, God bless us, God benefit us, God shine your face upon us. So that, so that something can happen, that your way may be known on earth, that your salvation or your saving power would be known among all nations. I'm gonna give you through this Psalm four reasons for this mercy, for this grace, for this blessing, for this illumination. It's four reasons why Jesus came. And it's first of all, so that we might know, all right? That your way may be known on earth, that all the nations 
may know and find out about his saving ways and that they might become familiar with his ways and his conduct and his strength and his plan of salvation. God bless us so that they might know you and your way and your plan of salvation. Among all the nations, the verse says, it's the word Kai, and it means among all, the whole, everyone, everybody, everything, total, all in all, so that your way may be known everywhere, among everybody. It's the word people. It's, it means ethnic groups. It means tribes and clans. It speaks of the Israelites, the Canaanites, the Jebusites, the Moabites, the Perizzites, all these other ites. And then even beyond that, to some 11,000 other or 16,000 other people groups. Scholars have identified over 11,000 different people groups, and some say 16,000 perhaps, different people groups or clans or nations that have distinct languages and distinct cultural characteristics that can cause boundaries to the gospel getting in. Languages, cultures, climates, geography, you know, hostile you know, governments, whatever, that there's some 11,000, perhaps 16,000 different nations, different people groups. Here the psalmist will actually use three different words to describe different people groups as if to say God wants to be praised by all of them from the north, the south, the east, the west, the rich, the poor, the various social castes within India, children, old people, you know, Whatever, God wants his salvific will, his salvation to be preached to them all. And for people to know what happens, has to happen, Romans 10 tells us that there must be preachers preaching, not just paid ministers in liturgy. We're talking, uh, we're talking everybody heralding the gospel, preaching the gospel, teaching the things that Jesus has commanded. As Matthew 28 says, go out and make disciples. Go therefore, 18 is actually, you know, that all authority has been given to Jesus. And then 19 says, go therefore and make disciples. That means make learners, make followers of all the nations. There's that word again, all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them. We'll learn later that Mark's gospel says preaching to them, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. There needs to be a teaching so that people can know the way of the Lord and his salvation among all the earth. God in his sovereignty, for some reason, it was his idea that he use us to teach and to preach. He could have just had people had dreams and visions. Why didn't he do that? Why didn't he just have angels show up and preach the gospel? I don't know. But he's chosen for you and for me to open up our mouths. And even in the foolishness of the way we look and the way we are, you know, the Holy Spirit powering, empowering us, we're able to put words together and make little sentences that somehow in a very foolish way shares the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. And who's glorified in that? the creator of these mouths, the redeemer of the sinful flesh. That the nations might know requires 
Preaching requires teaching, requires going. Verse three, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. We have this word praise two times, meaning give thanks and to confess. When we, when we, can, we realize the salvation of the Lord in his way, in his character, in his conduct, and we realize it, we're thankful for it as those that have been given mercy and those that have been given grace and those that have been given blessing. We are thankful, we praise him, we confess what he has done for us. And not only we here in Prineville, but let the peoples, verse three says, and then again, let all the peoples praise you. All nations, all groups, all lives, everyone total. God in his mercy, blessing us, illuminating us. The nations told of his salvation and then the nations move to praising and thanking God for his beautiful plan of redemption of sinners. First Peter 2, 9, this is one of the first passages we looked at in our This Church series where it says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have worship and we have witness in this passage in that we are a royal priesthood worshiping the Lord and we are witnesses proclaiming the praises, bragging about God, letting the whole world know, publishing abroad is what the word means. We are publishing abroad the plan of salvation that God has brought. That's why the psalmist in Psalm 67 prays for the blessing of God is because it's for the purpose of God's praise, his glory among all the people. This is an idea that is all over the Bible. This is the, a common thread from Genesis through Revelation. And if you read your Bible in your quiet times with this being left out, then you are reading incompletely. This is the, the theme of the scriptures. God's blessing poured out on us so that it can go out to the world so that all nations can glorify God. In Genesis chapter 12, we read it already. God says, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, not so that the blessings of God Almighty would end at you, Abram, but so that you will be a blessing to all of the nations of the world. What if Abraham would have hoarded it and become all fat and sassy? In a way, Israel kind of did. There was still a level of, of the blessing there. But Abraham had a son named Isaac. And in Genesis 26, four, God tells the same thing to the son, Isaac. And then Isaac has a son, Jacob, who's a bachelor. You know, he's part of the group bachelors to the rapture. At least he thought so. And then he has a dream and the Lord speaks to him that I'm gonna make you a father of many nations and, and your descendants are gonna be as the stars of the sky. He's not even married. But God tells Jacob his blessings upon him and that the ends of the earth will be blessed through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob. You guys know the history. Eventually Israel is led into Egypt or brought down and, and, and they are taken captive in Egypt. And eventually they get out after all the plagues and after Passover and they're heading out of Egypt and they're bottlenecked uh, through the mountains right up against the Red Sea. They have nowhere to go. Why did God spread apart the Red Sea so that uh, Israel could escape from Egypt and then all the Egyptian horses and riders and all them go and the sea collapses and they all die? Why did God do that? just for Israel. 
so they can finally be free from slavery and just go back to the land that God promised and just get fat and sassy again. No, in Exodus chapter 14, verse 4, it says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart so he will pursue them. I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. Why did God do all of this? Why did God save Israel out of Egypt? Chiefly so that he would get glory among the Egyptians. When you hear the stories of the Bible, ask why did he do that and scan the pages and you will see that it wasn't just to end with the people, it was to end with everybody giving praise and glory to God. Why did God bless three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and spare them from the fiery furnace? Because God doesn't like it when good people die in fiery furnaces, right? I mean, that's probably how I've read it for 20 something years. Well, in Daniel chapter three, verses 28 and 29, after they're spared, Jesus shows up in the fiery furnace, the one that looks like the son of God. You guys know the story. Nebuchadnezzar speaks up saying, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is a pagan king who just threw him into the fire to be killed. And now he's blessing God. Blessed be the God of these men who sent his angel and delivered his servants to, who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve or worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made as an ash heap because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Read the rest of the chapter and you see that it's much more than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of the fiery furnace. Woohoo, good shot. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, everybody. Even the pagan king blesses God. How about two, uh, three chapters later, Daniel chapter six, why would Daniel be saved from the lion's den? Because Daniel's good and God just wants to bless Daniel for being good and for praying and having his quiet time like he was supposed to. Read the whole chapter. And you see in Daniel 6, 26, after Daniel is rescued from the lion's den, the King Darius says, a pagan king says, I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall endure to the end. We see this in the Psalms. Psalms 23, three, one of our favorite Psalms, read it at funerals all the time. He restores my soul. He leads me into paths of righteousness. We're done. No, we're not done. There's the rest of the verse. For his name's sake. That means for his praise, for his glory. Psalm 25, two chapters later, verse seven. Do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions according to your mercy. Remember me. So a prayer of forgive me for my sins, Lord. Why? Well, so that I don't feel guilty anymore and so that I... No, I'm forgiven and that's all good. And, and there's, that's biblical stuff too. But the real end of it all, the, the chief end, the purpose and the aim of the blessing of forgiveness of sin is so that Psalm 25 says, for your goodness sake, it all goes back to praising God. It all goes back to glorifying God. In the prophets, we don't have time to read it all. I want it, I got it written out. I got it for you today. In the prophets, Isaiah 43, one through seven. Will you guys homework today, read this? Just read a couple of verses, okay? Isaiah 43, one through seven. Let's just read verse seven. 
all these things of God's faithfulness to Israel. And you can just read verse seven and get the gist of it. Everyone who is called by my name, who I have created for my glory, I have formed him, yes, I have made him. He's formed, he's made us the chief and a man for the glory of God. Ezekiel 36 is the same thing. The Lord God says, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you've profaned among the nations wherever you went. And he goes on to say it again. What's the purpose of God's deliverance from exile? It's, it's for his name's sake. Guys, don't ever lose that. Don't ever start reading anything else out of the scripture. You will find that the context of it all, of the blessings of God upon us, of the grace of God upon us, of the, the Lord shining his face upon us is not to end with us. It is so that the nations may know the ways and the salvation of the Lord. It is so all, so the peoples will praise him, so that all the peoples will praise him. And the danger in this, in knowing this truth, is that we are prone to disconnect God's blessing in our lives from God's purpose for our lives. And we're especially guilty of it as Americans. The richest nation in the world, Every single one of us, even if you're the poorest one in the room, you are in the top 10% of the world's wealthiest people. And we have learned as a culture and as um, the American Christian church that all of the blessings of God with my job, with my family, uh, with our national blessings, everything that you can possibly think of that is the blessings of God, it has ended with me and it has ended with you. And we are all guilty of it. It, we believe it ends with us. We have disconnected the purpose of God's blessings. We have forgotten that it's not to end with us, just as it wasn't to end with Abraham, but it's to go out for the praise of God among all the nations. God lives to exalt himself. And it's okay for him to be self-centered. Who else would you have be the center of God's mind. You, do you want to be God's God? Are you worthy to be God's God? He's the only one that can have his chief end, his own glory, because he's the only one who's worthy of that. The saints cry out in Revelation chapter five, you alone are worthy. You are the lamb who was slain. You alone are worthy. What makes this Psalm so great is that it reveals that the blessings of God is not intended to center on me. Instead, the blessing of God is to spread through me. And there's a huge difference between the two. There are 2 billion people in the world who have never, ever heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't, we don't comprehend that here because we think of a, a coworker or someone here that, you know, they're informed, all right? The Americans are highly informed. They have an idea. So most people could verbalize, Jesus died on the cross for my sins or something like that, right? We're talking 2 billion people on the planet who've never even heard the name Jesus. And they aren't going to hell because they've never heard the name Jesus. They're going to hell because they've rejected God from the beginning. Romans chapter one tells us that. 
but they have no knowledge of the redemptive plan of God that they might be saved from sin and so that their mouths and their lips can now be praising God for his ways and for his salvation. And how is it possible that 2014 years after Jesus gave the commission to go unto all the nations that there's still two billion people who've never heard the name Jesus? How is that? How is it that we have all this resource and, and not just us, but the American church and that is still the case? It is because the church of America and probably the churches of the world, we've disconnected God's blessing to us with his mission for us to get it out, to get it out to the nation so all the peoples can praise him. So all the peoples can know Verse four gives us the third reason for the blessings of God, the third reason that Jesus came. The first one was that so everyone might know. Secondly, it was so the people would praise him and glorify him. Thirdly, oh, verse four, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you shall judge the people righteously or with equity and govern the nations on the earth. So the third reason that, that God pours out his blessings upon us and why Jesus has come is so that we might be glad and enjoy God. The Westminster Catechism, it's, it's the first question that you ask when you're training people in the doctrine of the scriptures. They would ask, what is the chief end of man? Why, what is the purpose we exist? And everyone has that question, don't they? Why are we here? You know, philosophizing, philosophizing? Whatever, forget that part. I always say that wrong. What is the chief end of man? And then the answer to the question is, the chief end of man is to glorify God. Hopefully you're getting that so far today. And to enjoy him forever. God wants us to have joy and to have enjoyment, but not in anything apart from him and not in anything apart from glorifying him. Piper says uh, in, a, in a newsletter we read uh, yesterday at our missions meeting for Nepal, he says in this newsletter, God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. The pursuit of God's glory and the pursuit of your joy are not at odds. And don't you feel like that sometimes? I want this and I want to do this and I want to do that. And this is kind of, I'm not going to tell anybody about it because it's, it feels at odds with God's glory. It's probably at odds with God's glory if you're living for yourself and you're doing it for yourself and if it's sinful at its core. But really God wants our joy to come from knowing him and being about what he is about. That the pursuit of God's glory and the pursuit of your joy are not at odds. They are in fact one. The goal of missions is that the gladness of the peoples would be in the greatness of who God is is psalm 69 32 the humble shall see this and be glad you who seek god your hearts shall live god has designed that our hearts would be glad and not hoarding his grace but to be giving his grace out and giving his blessings out and the more that we do that the more glad we are the more joy we have be about what God is about and you will find joy. One of the greatest joys I've ever had in my life is leading people to Jesus. 
That is such a great joy. But the world wants us to distract, be distracted with the lusts of the flesh and lusts of the eyes and the pride of life. And those things are against the glory of God. This gladness and this enjoyment, it comes from knowing that God will judge the peoples righteously, this verse says, and govern the nations on the earth. Much to be said about God and his righteous judgments and his governing. All of the nations are gonna be thrilled and overjoyed when God is, when God is reigning and ruling from the throne of David. Verse six says, then the earth shall yield her increase. Or uh, Kevin, ESV, what is that verse? It doesn't say then. How does that start? Okay, so, so New King James can be a little confusing here. Uh, it says the earth has yielded its increase. So all of the blessings of God giving us rain for a harvest and giving us jobs and giving us fruit and produce and all of these things that the earth has yielded and given, God, our own God shall bless us. God gives us material wealth for the world's spiritual wealth. And God gives us a beautiful wheat harvest or alfalfa harvest or lots of construction jobs or great clients in our accounting firms or at the, at the doctor's office or whatever. The earth is yielding for the blessings for us for the world's spiritual worship. And he gives a bountiful wheat harvest for a bountiful world harvest. All of the blessings that are poured out are so that the salvation of the Lord would be known upon all the earth and his praise would be given by those that hear. You can just write in your notes, Ezekiel 34, 27 through 31. And if we had time today, I'd love to read it. Verse seven, this is the last verse in our text today. If you, if you just look back real quick in verse six, God, our own God shall bless us. And then verse seven says, God shall bless us and all of the ends of the earth shall fear him. So God, our own God shall bless us. This is found three times in this chapter, but for what purpose? We see our fourth reason that Jesus came our fourth reason that Jesus has blessed us, given us grace, given us mercy, caused his face to shine upon us, given us bountiful harvest and bountiful work here in America in 2014. The fourth reason is so that all of the ends of the earth shall fear him, shall be afraid of him, shall revere and be in awe and find him to be awesome and respect him. Why does God bless us? Why does our own God bless us? Why does God bless us three times in seven verses? It is so all of the ends of the earth, Nepal, as far away as you can get from Prineville, other end of the earth, and then up on the highest mountain. That's as far away as you can get. That's the ends of the earth for Prineville. Why are we going there? So that they might know the way of the Lord, the salvation of the Lord, that they might praise him, that they might be glad and enjoy him. Why has he blessed us here with all the work, with all the resources, so that all of the ends of the earth in Senegal, in Uganda, Nepal, wherever else God's taken us, so that they might 
fear him and find him to be awesome. One day this will be fulfilled. Matthew 24, 14 says that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations and then the end will come. What does that mean? I can just as much say this, Jesus hasn't come back yet. So that means that the job is not done, okay? So that means let's get about his job so that he will return and we'll see him face to face. Revelation chapter five, verses nine through 10 shows us that end, that day. There's a group worshiping before the throne of God. And they say that you've redeemed us to God, Jesus, by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nations. God blesses us for his mission, for his glory chiefly. You know, as Kevin was sharing about our church's financial status right now, just maybe you have to be in those board meetings and the trimming of the fat of the church and, and you know, and just talking about, you know, who, what do we do? You know, let's pray. And, and to see such a surplus as we're just believing that we're hearing from God and we're understanding the scriptures and we're going to glorify him among all the nations and to see such a, a surplus for the purpose that we're talking about today. I was reading, sorry, one last Piper quote for you today, but it blessed me. I texted it to the elders last night or to uh, those that were in our Nepal meeting. He says this, if God blesses his people for the sake of the nations, then God is most likely to bless us when we are planning and longing and praying to bless the nations. So why is it that in the last year, God has moved the people to be so generous to have this so we can be sending out and, and you know, supplying $19,000 for, uh, for the Nepal trip and then trying to get another 19,000 for the Nepal trip to, to help get these people over. How is this coming? I believe it's because we're about what he wants us to be about from Genesis through Revelation. If God wants his goods to get to the nations, then he will fill the truck that is driving to the nations. He will bless the church that is pouring itself out for the unreached peoples of the world. And this blessing is not payment for a service rendered. It is power and it is joy for the mission to be accomplished. When we move to the unreached peoples, we are not earning God's blessing. We are leaping into the river of God's blessing that is already overflowing to the nations. And I believe that's where God has us. We've just, God's by his grace is showing us the direction of the whole meta narrative of scripture. And we're jumping in this overflowing river to get the gospel to the ends of the earth for the glory of God. This promise of God must compel risk-taking death-defying confidence in our God, God will bless this mission. There's so much more to life than just having the best job and the most possessions and you know, tacking on one attendance on a Sunday morning once a week or a couple times a month. He's got a huge, incredible mission for us. And so that being said, all of all of the last year and a half and even before so has just been moving us and moving us as a church, as a leadership towards a direction. The first part of the direction that we want to reveal to you today is that we want to just stamp and make it known why 
Calvary Chapel of Crook County exists so that there's no confusion. We want to give you our purpose statement that really has been our purpose statement uh, for years. And we want to make it known. Uh, perhaps it's, it's been updated by God graciously showing us how far this purpose goes toward. Really quick, as we show you today what the vision is, uh, we can hold back on that slide just real quick because I wanna share with you, what, what is a vision anyway? What's the big deal? You might remember at the fast last year in 2013, Dean Bonanno sharing what God did in him in the fast. And, and I remember it so well as he shared that God has just burdened his heart that our church would have vision. And, and you know, we're all kind of like, hey, we have vision, you know, we, this is what we do, you know, and, and all of that. And I believe that, you know, that fasting and that prayer from one man in our church who's been faithful to pray and fast, that he's given us more and more just specific vision that we can articulate and show you why we're here, why we exist. Uh, from a secular standpoint, even vision and mission statements should articulate the essence of your organization's beliefs and values and define its place in the world. They establish the long-term directions that guide every aspect of an organization's daily operations. So these are our beliefs. These, this is just kind of a simple way of putting our beliefs, values, shows our place in the world. Here's our long-term direction. And everything we do as a church, everything we do falls under this umbrella of our vision statement. To distinguish between vision and mission, a vision statement expresses our optimal goal and our reason for existence, while a mission statement provides an overview. And this is next week. We're gonna share our mission statement, which will be an overview of our plans to make this vision happen. Okay, so that'll be next week. Art Azurdia in this church series that we went through, he said, the intensity of our passion is tightly connected to the awareness of our vision, all right? And I, that's, that's sat with me for about a year and a half. The intensity of our passion is tightly connected to the awareness of our vision. And believing that to be so, we as a leadership of elders have fashioned this vision statement prayerfully with much dialogue, with much understanding and, and looking at the whole of scriptures, this vision statement reflects and attempts just our summary of the ultimate New Testament purposes for this church, our ways of thinking. This statement justifies our existence as a local congregation of believers seeking to live together as a Christian community it's now painted on the wall as we leave the sanctuary so that every time we leave this place, we remember why we're here. And it's now gonna be on this screen, just cycling through our announcements, cycling through things. So we just are constantly, it's gonna be on our brochures, our bulletins. This is our purpose. This is why we exist. Let me share it with you today. This is carefully worded. This is prayed over. This is tweaked and talked and discussed and waited on and waited on and waited on and prayed through. And here we believe that we're just sharing biblically what the Holy Spirit is leading for our church, why we exist. We exist to make disciples 
in our city and of all nations who are sent out to proclaim and embody the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. Let's leave that uh, just up there for right now. And, and I just wanna pull it apart very quickly. First of all, Calvary Chapel of Crook County exists. There's no getting around that. We are here. We are a body of believers. In Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says, I will build my church. Whose church is it? Jesus's. Who builds it? Jesus. What are we doing here? Jesus has put us here in his sovereignty and in his plans for Psalm 67 to be fulfilled. Hey, good, bad, or whatever, we're here, all right? Calvary Chapel of Crook County exists. It's God's idea, the local church here today. It's God's design. You cannot get around the biblical principles of the necessity of its existence, purpose, function, and our call to involvement in the local church. As John Stott said, the church lies at the very center of the eternal purpose of God. It is not a divine afterthought. It is not an accident of history. We exist and it's not an accident. It's not by mistake. And you know what Revelation tells us in chapter one and in the first verse of chapter two, that Jesus is walking in our midst. It's his, he's built it, he's here. Secondly, we exist to make disciples, followers, and learners. We saw that as we quoted Matthew chapter 28, the great commission that we are to go and we are to make disciples. We're to teach them all the things that Jesus commanded. Where are we to make disciples? In our vision statement, we're to make disciples in our city and of all nations. So locally we make disciples and globally we make disciples. This is found in all of the great commissions. In Luke's version, it says, Jesus came and died and rose from the dead so that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be preached to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. And then he goes on in, this, in Luke's account in Acts chapter one, verse eight, the Holy Spirit will come upon us so that we are bold to proclaim the gospel first here in our city, then within our region and to the farthest parts of the earth, locally and globally. We are making disciples who are then sent out. We don't want to hoard our best disciples. We don't wanna hoard our disciples. We're given disciples to send them out. And today, what a great day to be teaching this as we sent out people to the unreached Muslim population in Senegal. Fred and Mary are being sent out today under our umbrella of our vision statement. Each commission sends out the disciples with a, with a go. And as they go, they are to proclaim and embody or represent the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are to go out. Mark's commission says, go and preach the gospel to every creature. Matthew's gospel says, go out and teach all the things that I've commanded. They are to go, they are to be sent out. And then they are to embody, they are to preach and proclaim. And then they are to embody. They are to live the gospel. They are to represent the gospel. Second Corinthians, uh, first Corinthians, second Corinthians chapter five says, we are to be ambassadors of Jesus. We're to represent him. First John, you can read it, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four. It goes all through. Hey, if you say you're a Christian, 
but you hate your brother or you're living in sin, time and time and time again, you're a liar. The truth isn't in you. Why? These people are going out, but they're not embodying the gospel. We as disciples are to embody the gospel. So much to say there. And finally, if you didn't get it today from Psalm chapter 67, verses one through seven, this is all for the glory of God. No lesser matters are at stake, Mark Deaver says, in the church than the proclamation of God's glory throughout his creation. Charles Bridges expressed it by saying, the church is the mirror that reflects the whole shining of the divine character. The church is the grand scene in which the perfections of Jehovah are displayed to the universe. Why do we exist? Go down to the bottom. For the glory of God. We don't have time to close in worship, but let me close by saying all of this church series from 2013, going through Corinthians, and the Holy Spirit leading us to, to teach a simplified version of the church series again, it all has been leading to today, to the announcement of our church's vision statement, which in and of itself has a purpose. It's not gonna end with today. Today, there's a purpose. There's a direction that we are being led by the Spirit with this vision statement. And the next week, we'll see the revealing of the mission statement. And there's a purpose in that, how we as a church are going to accomplish our vision statement. It will lead us to the next week of the revealing of the direction of our church, followed by about four weeks of some really incredible, really important, powerful, really defining things. And we can say for the glory of God, God is moving here. Be here next week, be here the next week. If you have to be gone, and I hope you really, really have to be gone, you listen online, please. Guys, this is why we are here. And if we don't get that, what are we doing? We're spinning our wheels in the mud. Praise God for his grace in revealing this to us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you, God, for your blessings upon us in so many ways. We could just make lists and lists and just spend hours talking about your mercy upon us, your grace to us sinners who deserve judgment and condemnation and the wrath of God in hell for all eternity. But God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love that he loved us, came and gave his only son to be the sacrifice for our sin. And God, you are glorified in the sending of your son to die a sinner's death. Lord, you are glorified in your plan of redemption. And Lord, we thank you. We pray you do a work in our church of the spirit of God in convicting us that the blessings of God are not to end with us, but they are to go out and be distributed among the world so that the peoples might know you, that the nations would praise you, that they would be glad and enjoy you and your sovereign rule over them. And Lord, that they might fear you and find you to be awesome. May this purpose statement, God, be seared upon our hearts as we see it on the screen and we see it on the wall and we talk amongst ourselves, Lord Jesus, be glorified in Calvary Chapel of Crook County. In Jesus' name, amen.